On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are going to talk about Hamilton Arts Week. What is Hamilton Arts Week? Well, that's why we have a podcast. You can stick around and find out. We are also going to be chatting chatting with Dr. Reggie Leach, former Philadelphia Flyer who is now doing incredible work with Indigenous youth and other people. He just got a doctorate from Brock University. The guy who once scored 61 goals in a season is now a doctor. That's kind of cool. And... Ben and I, and Ben's the guy who runs the whole podcast and makes this thing work, Ben and I are going to go through a bunch of movies, titles, working titles, that didn't become the final name. You won't believe what some of these movies were originally going to be called. Stick around and enjoy. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. I assume many of you probably tuned in at some point last night to watch the Toronto Raptors game. Considering, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it was some incredible number that they got last night. $8 million or something was the number for the TV audience. Which works out to about one out of every four Canadians was watching. And that does not include the fact that there were thousands of people watching in Jurassic Parks everywhere. They don't count necessarily against the numbers. So it's probably closer to one in three Canadians, give or take, were watching that game last night. Well, we're not talking about basketball right now. We can talk about that later if you wish. But in the midst of this, as you were watching the game, if you did not get up to have a pee or make a sandwich or get a beer every commercial, you probably were inundated with attack ads. The election in Canada is not until October. But very clearly the campaign has begun. Now, these are not ads that were done by the parties. They're not allowed to do that yet. These are third party groups that are fully allowed legal to do whatever they want and to take out ads, whether they're attack ads or support ads or anything else. Uh, In this case, there was one that you've probably seen with Andrew Scheer, the conservative leader, as a bobblehead being a yes man to all the big corporate companies and he's going to hack and slash and burn everything. And the other one was an attack ad against Justin Trudeau playing on the theme of last election's attack ads that he's just not ready. And it says he's still not ready. So you're watching a basketball game. You're having a good time. You're talking with your friends. And now your face is being smashed with negative attack ads. And not just once and not just twice. It was a nonstop barrage of these things. If you watch the entire game, probably you saw 10 12 of these things before the night was out at least. So I want to ask you whether this is going to work. I want to ask you what your position on this is. And let me tell you why. Because every single election that rolls around, we have people, voters, who announce rather loudly through conversations or social media or letters to the editor or wherever else, Attack ads will not work. I detest attack ads. I'm on Twitter right now. I'm sitting here in the studio looking and I've just pulled up the, I've just tweeted out the, to do a search on attack ads. I saw both sides. I detest attack ads. You know, you all know you lost, right? Attack ads won't work. Um, On and on and on. There are just tons of people saying, I resent having to look at these attack ads. I hate attack ads. I don't want candidates to go negative. I refuse to vote for someone who's going to go down that path and sling mud and go negative. Consistently, people are saying, I will not buy into this. I do not like it. 
I despise the fact that this is how politics has become, that rather than taking the high road, everyone is on a race to the bottom, that it's become personal. We hear this all the time, right? And yet, and yet, the reality is if you go and start looking up the science and polls and studies and research and everything else, guess what works? Almost every time, guess what works? Uh Uh-huh. There are exceptions. There are some exceptions. There are times and there are circumstances and our situations where attack ads are less effective. But by and large, if you look at the science, attack ads, despite the fact that everybody says they hate them, they work. But I want to hear from you. When you see these, do you, does it, do you believe that it causes you to, uh, to change your political view, to create an image or a picture of the leader that you may or may not vote for? Or do you look at it and you go, I am disgusted by this. I want to hear from you. 905-645-3221 or star 9900. In other words, are you okay with the idea of attack ads because they highlight, put a spotlight on a weakness of a particular leader? Or do you say, no, no. I, if you are a party and your only ability to get your message across is to tear down the other party, I have no interest in you. Because that's really what this is about. Attack ads are not about highlighting your position. It's only about pointing out the weaknesses, in your opinion, the weaknesses or shortcomings in the other person's position. And sometimes beyond that, it's simply about trying to make the person look like a buffoon or worse. But clearly, where are we now? October to September to August to July to June. We are five months away from the federal election and we are already right into the guts of negative campaign ad time. Meaning we've got a full summer. We've got five months of this to look forward to. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Talking about the negative attack ads that have already started. If you were watching the Raptors game last night, and many, many, many of you were in the millions across this country, you were seeing maybe for the first time, but certainly a hefty dose of negative attack ads leading up to this October's election. And what I find really interesting when we talk about this is there are people who say, this has no effect on me. I don't pay any attention to this at all. I detest this. Well, let me read one tweet, which I think sums this up perfectly. Now, this is a person who was very upset, clearly, about the attack ads on Justin Trudeau. He's a liberal. That's good. That's fine. Uh, His ad says... Lowest unemployment in 43 years, a million new jobs, lifting 300 youth out of poverty. Sounds like Trudeau was more than ready. Rehashing failed attack ads against him is laughable. So he's against attack ads. We got it. Weak Andy has no plan. So he's saying he is opposed to to attack ads and then cites an attack ad to make his point against Andrew Scheer. You see how this works? People say they don't like attack ads, but boy, it sure seems like despite that, they do have an impact. Let me go to, uh, by the way, 905-645-3221, star 9900. Are you okay with these because they help to crystallize what you think or don't think about someone? Or do you just despise them and say, get them off my TV. I don't want anything to do with them. I want to hear from you. Frank is up first today. Frank, how are you tonight? Uh, quite, quite well. Thanks, uh, Scott. I'll tell you this much. Um, I'm against 
the ads I don't like, I own the remote in my house when I watch sports. And I'm pretty good at it now. I think I'm up to about 90% of knowing when I'm going to shut somebody off and then turn them back on. And my average is about 90%. I get right back when the, when the, when the, the real program continues, okay? But I'm going to ask you this. this what, what really um, intrigues me or even perplexes me, uh, makes me wonder, is how they conceive of these ads to think they are going to grab the public's approval like what, what tech, what is the, you know, how they contrive of what they want to say to all the Canadians and enough to win enough popularity by attacking, you see? And, and I want to say this before I leave you, Scott. Shoot. I, I, there's a lot of, I, I don't like seeing a car ad repetitively. I don't like seeing Budweiser repetitively. These attack ads, they bother me about what they're doing, yes. But my, I'm interested in knowing how they contrive or what they want to say to the public when they get most viewership and you know they're going to put it on when everybody's viewing as to whether or not they know what they're saying right or what what is the feedback that they know of and that's only going to happen if it's going to be stretched out till like october i believe that for most of the attack ads all they are doing is preaching to the choir that you have got if you are a liberal and you're seeing the attack ads on andrew Shear, you're going oh those are great makes the point and if you're a conservative and you see the attack ads on Justin Trudeau, you're saying, oh, those are fantastic. Interestingly, Frank, by the way, I appreciate the call, Frank. Thank you very much. I hope we're not all that gullible. Well, <laughs> don't, be, uh, don't be thinking otherwise. I find it very interesting that there are no attack ads against Jugmeet Singh, which suggests, I think, by polling, that it means at this point he is a complete non-factor in this election, in case anyone thought that the NDP might be this time. But I just, it, it puzzles me forever. It puzzles me forever that every single election, at every single level, federal, provincial, municipal, people say consistently, I hate attack ads. I hate when politicians go negative. I hate when they get into the mud. I hate when they start throwing dirt around. And every single election, what do they do and what works? And the science, the the studies, the surveys, the academia all says... This stuff works. So you're sitting at home now watching the game and you're saying, this disgusts me. I hate this. But I go back to that tweet that I just pointed out. I don't think that that guy who sent out that Twitter, that tweet, by the way, was intending to be ironic. I don't think he realized that by claiming that he hates attack ads and then citing an attack ad to bolster his position, I don't think he realizes the irony. It sticks in your head. It they work. They work somehow, even though we say we hate them. Or at least some people say they hate them. Maybe you love them and that's okay. You're allowed your opinion. But do you watch them? Do you even leave them on your TV set? Because we are five months roughly away from the election. And if you think that well, we got them all out of our system because the Raptors game was on and that was a big TV audience, but we're not going to... You are going to be seeing a steady diet. Keep in mind, these ones are not even from the parties themselves. These are from third-party advertisers. The parties themselves haven't even begun this yet. Just wait till we get into the party stuff. The TV networks, the radio stations, the newspapers, they're all going to love it because it's loads of revenue, but... Everyone else, I think, is looking at this going, really? Really? we got to go through five months of this? But as I say, let me just point this out. We got, we're out of time almost. 
I hear often, you hear often, I'm not saying anything to you that you haven't heard, that you despise these. Well, keep in mind, political parties, political advertising groups, all activist groups, all this, are not spending millions of dollars on something because they are not effective. They are effective. You say you hate them, they will have an effect. And unless you specifically go out of your way to turn off the TV, turn off, well, don't turn off the radio. You know, just go la, 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 la when they come on. That's what you're allowed to do for 30 seconds. La, 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 la. Unless you do something like that. Yeah, I'm not allowed to say turn off the radio here. (laughs) That that kind of thing they frown upon. (laughs) But yes, unless we turn our back on this kind of stuff, And unless we force them to advertise in positive ways, laying out a message that they are going to do rather than just what a giant idiot the other guy is, it's never going to end. And we are at day one. Just wait. Just wait till October. Think how uplifted your soul will be after five months of this stuff. Be like having a jacuzzi in a big pile of steaming manure of your soul. Political crap storm is what it's going to be. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. There probably will be some dancing this weekend. You may be doing it, or it could be part of a slightly more organized event that is going on that you may or may not be aware of, but I wanted to bring it up because I think you should be. Uh, Beginning Friday in Hamilton, this is Hamilton Arts Week. Did you know? Hands up if you knew. Well, if you didn't, you're at the right place because you're going to find out about it. David Hudson is the Community Engagement Officer with the Hamilton Arts Council. He joins us now. David, thanks for doing this today. Thanks a lot for having me, Scott. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, we're really thrilled to have you. You know, we, and part of it is because of this. We do this stuff really well in Hamilton, don't we? Absolutely. You know, I think it's one of the most exciting things about Hamilton Arts Week is that there are some some specific key events that, that are put on for, for Arts Week. But for the most part, the almost 100 events that are taking place across the city of Hamilton are happening on a regular basis, uh, week to week in the city of Hamilton. And I think that's so exciting. So why do a specified or a specific Arts Week and bring them all together then? Well, I think the key point is really is really to highlight uh, what's happening. I think it's something that, that quite easily we can take for granted. And particularly with, with everything that's going on in the political climate and funding, it's really important to look at what a significant role arts is playing in the community. Interesting you bring that up because it was just, was it yesterday, the day before, that we heard that some of the funding was going to not yeah. be there? Yeah. And how do you then... Um, there's a lot of groups that have to find their own way in these times. How do you do that right. then? Well, I, you know, I think uh, from the position of the Arts Council, our role is to really bring people together and, and to connect them. One of, the, one of the great aspects of Hamilton Arts Week is, is not just the amazing opportunity for members of the community to get out and experience art and art in all its forms, whether it's dance, whether it's craft, whether it's theatre, but also 
but also I think for, for, for networking, I think artists to get out and connect with each other. And it was a big, uh, one of my experiences last year as a, as a choreographer in Hamilton, I have a contemporary dance company, to, to come out and participate in, in Hamilton Arts Week and meet other dance artists and begin to build that community because the only way that we're going to be able to sustain ourselves moving forward is to, is to find a way to work together. Let me throw one at you that I know that some some people in the arts community don't love this question. I'll throw it to you and see how you okay. like it or not. Um, <laughs> whenever there is a sports team that decides it needs funding from the government, people rise up and they often say, these are people that, you know, we don't know. If you like the team, if you like the sport, support it. If you don't, let it go away. Should that same thing be applied to the arts, that if you like it, you should rise up and you should go and you support it and put your money towards it? And if people don't like it enough to do that, we shouldn't have it. I think I think it's it's a fair it's a fair point absolutely but I mean part of part of art and art survival is uh is coming back to the root of of what is art about and I think it's about uh its ability to to tell stories I think it's about uh helping our community to maybe navigate and understand different topics and themes uh, helping us to maybe understand things in a way that even even language itself could be uh, could have shortcomings because maybe it doesn't quite do the job as succinctly as some of the the art forms that we have in the city. Um, and so, really, I think coming back to understanding the root of art and 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 the place that it has in our society is is kind of the the, the key message there. I would imagine that's a bit of a challenge, though, because we have so many things in our society right now that are vying for people's attention that getting enough people to want to come out and go to something like this, it, it, it's, right. it's intentional. Yeah, and, and part of uh, part of the intention, I think, that, that I certainly appreciate uh, from both the role of being with the, the Arts Council and then as a, as, a, as a member of the creative community and a, and a community member in Hamilton City is that as I learn and understand more about the artists, not just the work they're creating, but really the story behind the artist, where they come from, why it is uh, they create whatever it is that they're creating or presenting, it, it enriches my own experience. How do you... Now, I, I have no doubt that the die-hard art enthusiasts will know about <laughs> this event and will be out in droves, that they will. this will be right up their alley and they will love this. Right. And I don't think that probably you have to spend five seconds advertising to them. As soon as they hear about it, they are there. Yeah. How do you get the? How do you get other people who aren't necessarily the everyday consumers of art to come out to something like this? Well, I'm recognizing that, that there is something for everyone, and, and not everything that's being presented is. Uh, I think everything that being presented is accessible in in many different ways. The Hamilton, uh, the Hamilton Arts Council have, have gone to great measures to to really uh, include some diverse programming and really invite different people to the table. So there's there's interactive elements, certainly, and that's at all levels, whether you're a professional artist, dancer, performer, or whether you're just starting out, if you're an emerging artist or even someone with, uh, with hopes and dreams of maybe just expressing yourself creatively. There's different ways of getting involved. That's really reflected, I think, particularly at the, the launch party that's taking place at the Cotton Factory on the 15th. It's going to be an array of, of, of live musical performers. There'll be interactive art elements. We have uh, Mars Homes is uh, sponsoring our kids' zone, so there's going to be lots of interactive and creative elements that way. But there's also different things for, for adults and parents and, and people of different uh, levels and experience to, to, to get involved and appreciate. 
You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We are chatting about Arts Week. You may or may not know of Arts Week. Well, if you're here now, you will. Arts Week begins this Friday, runs for a week in Hamilton. There is, well, from the website, an epic celebration of art, musical acts, dance, theater, aerial groups, vendors, and creativity for the whole family. And that's just the opening night. Uh, Daniel Hudson, or sorry, David Hudson, pardon me, David, um, the okay. community engagement officer from the Hamilton Arts Council is with us. Is it difficult in the city? We started by saying just how well we do this kind of stuff in the city, and oh. that obviously leads to the fact that we do it a lot. Is it difficult to kind of carve out a space in a city where we have so many arts events now? Well, I, I think uh, uh, particularly in Hamilton, because because it's thriving and because uh, because there's so much uh, experimentation and exciting things going on, I think art is really learning to evolve in the city. And, and even as an arts council, on a daily basis, uh, we get to we get to consider what next to include. I mean, I, I'm so excited already for for Arts Week 2020 next year, where you, we can be including far more in terms of fashion design and maybe even tattooing and all sorts of elements of, of creative expression. And so, for in terms as an artist carving out uh, your little space, uh, your little part of Hamilton, I think it's just about being willing to share your specific message and, and, and your own perspective and I, and I think somewhere you'll find people to connect with. Maybe for 2020 there will be an interpretive dance by the hosts on 900 CHML. Well, you know, I'd, I'd happily, <laughs> I'd happily extend my services to help you about, uh, with that. You know, on the... Uh, on Nobody the, wants to see Bill Kelly, Scott Thompson or I in tights and a cod piece, I assure yeah, you. I, I don't know, I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> open-minded about these things. We actually have an event on Sunday the 16th which is taking place at the Art Gallery of Hamilton. It's uh, a works in progress and we have Hamilton-based choreographers and dance companies who are going to be showing excerpts of their live work but also engaging with the audience to talk about wow, uh, how and why they made the work and encourage some audience feedback and conversation. You did mention a moment ago, and I think it's a great word for this discussion, experimentation, because mm. art is uh, art is challenging because there are people who seem to get it very easily, yeah. and there are others who look at it and they go glassy-eyed and they have no idea what in the world it is they're looking at, and it just seems like it's a mystery to them. And I don't know if one appreciates, I think one appreciates it more than the other, but how, how, do you, how do you bridge that gap so that they come to the Arts Week and there's something there that everybody is going to get, not just those who can really take a deep dive into their psyche and their artistic side and everything else. <laughs> well, the, the, I think the, the glassy-eyed look at dance, and I, I, or art in, in, in any genre, is when, uh, is when I'm afraid of saying something wrong. And the truth is, is that much of the art, much of what's being shared in, in Hamilton is, is there for the taking and for, for your appreciation at any level. And therefore, you're, you're not expected to say or to say anything or to, to, to quote unquote get it. Uh, but merely to, to take away from it whatever your own experience is, whether that is just to appreciate something, uh, for example, for just how it looks and maybe maybe the colors of something and how that might look in your front room versus something that, that, that moves you and, and emotes and, and is evocative of, of, uh, of an experience that, that maybe you've had. You are a choreographer, though, and so it must be 
I don't know if the word is fascinating or maybe sometimes hilarious when mm-hmm. you discuss with people what you've just performed right. to hear their interpretations of what it was meant to be compared to what was in your head. Now, I suppose there's no wrong answer, but you must sometimes hear people give you explanations of what you were doing <laughs> and just say, oh, well, okay. I think I think that's I think that's I think that's part of the part of the intrigue, part of the enjoyment of, of working, particularly uh, with my work in in a more sort of abstract field. I'm not necessarily trying to tell you a specific narrative that I that I want you to either agree with or not, but just uh, I'm just excited to have you there and have have you experience the work. But do you ever have people come up and tell you what you were trying to say? Uh, in in some instances, I, I've experienced that, but uh, but it's always a pleasure just to engage with people. I, I understand. Now, I don't know the story behind this, but I understand that this Arts Week actually was uh, influential, or it was it was helpful in your career. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. So I was, uh, as you can probably tell, you may have cottoned on. I have a British accent. No, I thought um, that was uh, our, from Arkansas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a. It's a, it's a it, Hamilton Act. Okay. <laughs> yeah. um, I uh, I was became a permanent resident of Canada just officially last year in March and launched the 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 dance company, a strictly professional dance company for performing work. And I went to the Arts Council and I said, "How can how can I get involved?" And and Arts Week was uh, just on the on the table on the in the discussions. And so they they brought me in and said, look, you can, we can have you get involved and you can perform it at all these different locations, uh, which I did. I rolled up my sleeves and, and got involved. And it was amazing. It was an amazing experience to connect with not just uh, the Hamilton dance artists, but all the venues, all of the supporters and advocates, particularly for dance in Hamilton. And from there, we, uh, the dance company have gone on to perform at several different venues and locations through the year, and the work is really elevated. And I'm at a point this year where I'm actually paying professional dancers to dance in the company and giving it right back to Hamilton and it's a really exciting time to be an artist in the city. The website or one of the websites uh, HamiltonArtsCouncil.ca there are links on there to all the things that are going on. That's right this- uh, you can uh, forward slash Arts Week will get you right to the list of events. Perfect. It is a, it is a full uh, schedule. I can tell you. I was looking over it today. You could fill up every minute of every hour of every day if you wish for the next seven days. Uh, David Hudson, community engagement officer with Hamilton Arts Council. It's been a pleasure having you on. Thanks for taking time. Thank you so much for having me, Scott. Uh, if you're interested, if you want to take a look at it, once again, HamiltonArtsCouncil.ca. See if there's something there that grabs your attention, something that you want to take part in, take a little look at. Uh, it'll be going on for seven straight days. And as I say, there's a little bit of everything. So um, give it a look. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Now, when I was a kid, a little personal anecdote here. When I was a kid, I had a favorite hockey player. Some of you will be familiar with the name Bernie Perrot. He was the goalie for the Philadelphia Flyers back in the early 70s. I was a goalie, a poor one. I always used to joke that I was the safest goalie in hockey because the puck never hit me. Anyway, I tried to imitate every single thing Bernie Perrot did. I was at that age, and he was the coolest human being I'd ever seen in my life. And because I was a huge fan of his, I became a huge fan of the early 70s Philadelphia Flyers, who were, for a long time, known as the Broad Street Bullies. Uh, But mostly I remember the Stanley Cups that they were winning, uh, specifically the fact that I was able to stay up and watch the final game. That was the rule. I was usually, I was a first period guy. I had to go to bed, but I was allowed to stay up and watch them, first against Boston and then against Buffalo. And one Christmas, best Christmas gift ever, I got an orange Philadelphia Flyers number one jersey, just like Bernie Perrant. So... This next segment is very special to me because there were a lot of players on that team that as a child, 
meant an awful lot to me. Rick McLeish and Bill Barber and my next guest. He scored 61 goals one season, 19 more in the playoffs that year. Uh, in the spring of 1976, he became the only skater ever to win the Conn Smythe Trophy as the playoff MVP as a member of the losing team. His name is Reggie Leach. And yesterday he received an honorary doctorate from Brock University, not for hockey, maybe a little bit, but mostly not for hockey, for something else, which we're going to talk about in a second. But let me bring in Reggie Leach. Reggie, thanks for doing this today. Thank you very much for having me. When they call you up and they say they want to present you with a doctorate, what do you say to them? Well, that was, uh, I thought somebody was playing a prank. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, uh, you know, to me, it's, uh, it's a great honor that, uh, you know, the, the Brock University called and, uh, it, it, uh, it was, uh, it was, um, I really surprised to myself. Are you glad? I mean, one of the things, honestly, that I would believe that guys who have played or done whatever they've done a while ago, are they glad? Are you just glad you're, they remember you after all these years? Well, I think that, uh, you know, uh, I'm more proud of what I have done after hockey than I did during my hockey career. You know, my hockey career is just, just a small stepping stone not, uh, of my life circle. So it's, it's something that... Uh, you know, hockey gets me into a lot of doors because I'll always be known as Red Leach, the hockey player. Um, and I'm trying to change that around a bit, which I think I'm going in the right direction. I want to get to all that stuff in just a minute. Let's just stay on hockey for just a couple of minutes yeah. here, and then I want to get to that stuff. But Because you played in, I would argue, one of the more memorable eras in hockey. Uh, I mean, not only great players, but the way your team played. Uh, it was a pretty memorable time. Well, it was. Yeah, I think that uh, you know, uh, I always say that hockey changes every ten years, and and uh, we have Philadelphia Flyers actually changed uh, hockey there for about four or five years. There, where uh, you know you had to play really, you had to be really tough and everything else to uh, to compete in the league and everything. And you know, everybody had their superstars. Everybody had their number one line and number two line, but you always had about six or seven enforcers behind that. And you know a lot of lot of lot of the teams had that at that time, and you know that that era of uh, the mid seventies, you know, you, you know, you had the Philadelphia Flyers, you had the great Montreal Canadiens teams from seventy six to nineteen eighty, and you know then you go into the next dec- next next decade, you got the Islanders, and then uh, then uh, then Oil Kings. So you know the, the hockey changes uh, so often. When you arrived in Philadelphia, because you you didn't start there, you were traded there. When you arrived in Philadelphia, did anyone pull you aside on that team and say, "Here's how we do things here. Be ready." Well, you know what? I you know, when I turned pro in 1970, I was with Boston, and I always tell that I was the highest paid door opener for a year and a half that I never played. <laughs> so I used to open the door for Orr and Esposito and those other guys, and then I got traded to the California Golden Seals, and I thought that you know we didn't have a bad team that we lost out. By the playoffs, uh, by one point, the first year, end of the first year, I was there, and then the following year, the World Hockey League came in, which was a, a bonus, a big bonus to everybody because it, it doubled the salaries to, to a lot of the players that stayed in the National Hockey League, and and the, and a lot of the players that weren't making that great money were making it now in the World Hockey League. So, uh, you know, that's that's what happened there. Is I was I was in uh, Oakland and. Uh, I always I always tell the joke about playing in Oakland back in back in the seventy three uh, seventy four season when I was there my last year is that that uh, 
we were out of the playoffs by the end of October all the time. So, you know, we had a lot of time to golf. <laughs> we didn't have a, we didn't have a very good team. Uh, you know, like, like I said, I think we lost 11 or 12 players to the, the world hockey league at that time. And, and that was like starting over again. And, uh, yeah, it was tough, but it's, uh, something that, uh, you know, we all learn by and, uh, and uh, everything moves on. Then I got then I got a break and I uh, got traded to the Philadelphia Flyers after they won their first cup. Does it ever bother you? I just want to finish the hockey thing with this. Does it ever bother you that that team that you were part of with Philadelphia is always known as the Broad Street Bullies? They're always remembered for the fighting, but you guys had a lot of great skilled players on that team that kind of get overshadowed by the style of that team. Well, I don't, you know... I have to give these guys a lot of credit, you know, uh, uh, you know, Schultz, Dave Schultz and Selesky, Moose DuPont, uh, Bob Kelly, and, you know, Jack McElhardy, the guys that we had, the, the toughness on the team is that, you know, we had Ben Wilson and, and there was a few others, but they, they gave us that extra half a second to a second that we needed as, as a top line as a scorer and everything else. So, you know, it, it, uh, because they really didn't touch us, us, uh, uh, goal scorers and the, and the players that were on number one line and number two line. So it, it's something that uh, you know we I give them a lot of credit because they give they gave us the chance to do what we had to do. You received this honorary doctorate this week uh, for your work, not necessarily as a hockey player, but f- as a motivational speaker and as a man who's worked to help the indigenous community. And I understand that a big reason that you got into that was because of some challenges you had in your own life. Well, I think so. I think everybody has a challenges. You know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't a perfect uh, uh, teenager. I wasn't a perfect, uh, 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 you know, being in my twenties and my early thirties. And and you know, you do make mistakes. And I made, I made a pile of mistakes. And but only thing about myself is that um, it took me a while, but I learned from my mistakes and I moved on with my life. And and I now I I go and. Uh, it's not only First Nation community, it's anybody that, that invites me to their communities. And, and I talk about the mistakes I made and, and I talk about life choices and, you know, uh, basically of uh, what, what we should uh, go on with our young kids today. You know, I, I certainly today might dedicate myself to, to our young, young Canadians, we'll call them, and to the young people that we have to, have to get them in the right direction. You know, it's not it's not just the First Nation that has the problem. It's all over, right across Canada. So it's something that we have to start working together as one to uh, to get these kids on the right right track. Some of the things that you have talked about publicly in the past about some of the challenges you had with drinking or anything else. I mean, these are things that were even going on during your career. If if there had been a Reggie Leach coming to talk to you when you were a player, would you have listened? Well, I, I, you know, it's it's very tough because you know, as as a youngster, uh, you know, I went I went through that when I was when I had a I had a gentleman in Riverton at the age of fourteen, fifteen years old, and 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 I was already not I was wasn't getting in trouble, but he he talked to me about the drinking part of it and everything else, and and that's why that one time that uh, when I left Riverton at the age of fifteen or just sixteen when I went up to Flintlawn, and he says to me. Reg, if you want to be a hockey player, or make something out of yourself. You have to get out of this town, and that was a big boost and a big, big, uh, big lift for myself because uh, there's a guy that was cared cared about me, and he wanted he didn't want me to get into a rut as a very at a very young age. And I went to Flintlawn at, at 
in May, would you believe, in May to, to try out for the junior team in September. So, uh, you know, so I could get out of, the, out of, out of my community and, and uh, move on with my, with my life. Did you, when you realized that you needed to turn things around, and that was, as I say, after your hockey career, I mean, when you realized that there were things, did you do it yourself? How did, how did you do it? Well, I think that, uh, you know, you finally get sick and tired of everything else. And, you know, I couldn't get it. I couldn't get a job in the National Hockey League in 1982 or 82 or 83, 84, I guess, whatever it was. And, and uh, I played my last year in a place called Billings, Montana. And I know that I wasn't going to play again, so it was just like party heaven and everything else. And then when I came back that following year in uh, in, uh, in 1985, and um, uh, you know, I I went to rehab, and and uh, you know, I, I went to rehab in September 6, 1985. And I always to tell everybody that that was the best year of my life. I got divorced, but but I also I also quit drinking, and everything else is. Uh, uh, everything else was, uh, you know, upward from there. You know, I even got, a lot of people don't uh, realize that, is that I was actually offered to go back and play in the American Hockey League with Philadelphia Flyers and, uh, uh, you know, run by the America, by the Philadelphia Flyers at that time. And I and thought about it. I, 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 actually, I actually skated for two weeks um, to get in shape and everything else after I come out of rehab. And, and uh, I think my third week, I decided that I didn't want to do that because I'm just throwing myself back into the fire again. And that's where all the stuff started when I was, when I was uh, a player, you know, back in the 70s. Is that uh, there was always beer. There was beer on the bus. There was beer, beer in the dressing room, beer on the airplane, and, you know, all over the place. But, you know, that was my choice. Nobody else's. Uh, I'm the only one that uh, made those choices. And, you know, I don't blame, blame anybody for it. And, you know, you would think that however many years later, three decades later, that with the shape that athletes are in today and the money that's in the game and everything else, you would say, oh, they'll, they'll, nobody would ever do that again. And then you hear stories, and I'm Brian McGratton, who, local guy from around here, who is now clean and sober and is helping other players. But, I mean, it, there are guys who still struggle with this, even in hockey. Well, there's a lot of guys. There's a lot, you know, there's a lot of guys struggle in, in the 70s, 80s, 90s that I know of, and... and uh, you know, it's it's a powerful thing. It's it's not only the alcohol now; it's the drugs and uh, drugs and everything that's going on. You know, these guys now that make these millions and millions of dollars, they can afford all that stuff now. And you know, it it, ha- it happens in the league. Uh, you know, it's probably it probably happens to in, in today's league and stuff like that. It's just a matter of if they get caught, they'll 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 pay the consequence for it. And you know, it catches up to everybody sooner or later. Uh, <laughs> You know, it took me a long time to realize it, but, but you know, I, I watch what's going on all over the place and everything else, and and uh, I'm very uh, observant of what's going on, and you know, that's what I do now. I I I watch people. I know what is what their moods are and and stuff like that. So it's something that that I am very very proud of what I do today, and, you- I, and I and I stick to my guns, and I. I I don't hold anything back when I see something. Uh, you know, years ago I didn't even speak in like when I was playing uh, pro hockey. I, I just went along with everybody else said all the time, and and uh, and uh, you know that's why that's why I was. 
some of the people that you help today, some of the people you deal with are kids. It's been a while. Let's be honest. It's been a while. There's a few years under the bridge. Uh, do people, do the kids still know who you are? Or does it take a little explaining when you walk up and you say, or skate up to them and go, I'm Reggie Leach and here's why you should listen to me. No, I don't say why, why they should listen to me. Uh, I, uh, my son and I, we do hockey schools. Uh, we got a, we got a company called shoot to score hockey. My son Jamie and I, and we've been doing it for 15 years. We we teach about 2,000 kids a year. Wow! I have a new generation of kids that knew who that know who Reggie Leach is. That's very. Right from, I mean, that's very cool. Right from five years old to 16 years old, and and these kids, you know, they know me now. They call me Grandpa Reg. <laughs> and, and 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 to me, it makes me makes me proud because I have these kids in the same hockey come to our hockey schools. For the last five or six years, they started when they were six years old, and, and some of them have been eight years. We've been in different community, the same community, and to me, it makes me proud because they know who I am, they know what I did do, and uh, they knew I played in the league. But I don't, I don't push that to that much. And, and you know, I played in the National Hockey League. Uh, you know, that's great. That was part of my my goals and dreams that I did as a kid, and I accomplished a lot of a lot of those. Uh, uh, goals that I set for myself. Are you uh, are you surprised though that when, as a motivational speaker, as someone who reaches out, are you surprised at the impact that you can make at this point? Not really, not anymore. I used to be, I used to be surprised with stuff, but um, I'm good at what I'm doing, and and you know, uh, and I go there and I know I can I can read the audience and I can I, I can I can. Uh, you know, I can pretty well talk about anything. I do a lot of, you know, I do a lot of talking about suicides and bullies and uh, a little bit of drugs and alcohol and stuff like that. But, but the biggest thing is to try to keep the kids on on track. That's very important to me. Uh, you know, uh, seeing these kids and seeing them in the classroom and and what they do and where they live, and you know, I have I have. I have uh, inside with them because I've been I've been on First Nations communities. I live on a First Nation community now, and I know how how hard it is for these kids to to accomplish their goals and dreams when they're stuck in the middle of nowhere with you know no running water and and all this stuff. And uh, you know a lot of the our our, our uh, northern communities are third world country, and that shouldn't happen in, in this day and age. Yeah, it it really it really makes me wonder if well, forty years now later on, if Reggie Leach was coming up as a fifteen, sixteen year old at this point, if you would have made it into the NHL. Uh, I mean, I think I would have, despite uh, the obstacles you would have had. Uh, well, you know, I was I, I did it fifteen. I did it when I was fifteen, sixteen, forty years ago. And 40 years ago is way worse than what what it is today. Hmm. Could you have ever imagined back then that one day they would call you Dr. Leach? No. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. I I hope, Reggie, I hope now that when you go to your hockey school and the first kid calls you Grandpa Reg, that you're going to say, pardon me, son, that's Dr. Leach to you. Right. (laughs) You know, it was uh, quite, uh, I'm I'm a big Facebooker, right? And then I... I usually get around probably 95% of my business on Facebook. 
and I have messages today from yesterday, you know, Dr. Ridge and all that stuff. And, and I'll, and then some of my friends I know, I said, well, do you want me to operate on you? <laughs> I, I hope when next time you speak to Bobby Clark, that you're going to make him call you Dr. Leach. Well, I'll tell you what, I was just with Bobby Clark uh, two days ago. He was, uh, he did the fundraiser for me in my hometown and, uh, and he knew that I was getting this award and stuff like that. And, and he was calling me, Doc. He, he would, we were golfing. He would call. He would say, hey, Doc, your turn's up. You're up. See, you got you got to stick with that. That's uh, it, it's outstanding. I'm I'm happy for you. It's a great honor, and uh, really appreciate you taking some time for us today. Thanks for doing this. Go. Well, this has been wonderful, and thanks for uh, contacting me because uh, it's something very special in my heart for the, with the youth. Uh, right across Canada and everything else. Appreciate the time. Thank you. Okay, take care. That is Reggie Leach, the Riverton Rifle, once upon a time as he was known. Philadelphia Flyer, Broad Street Bully, all that kind of stuff. Uh, now, Dr. Leach, honorary degree. As I say, I, 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 when I watched that team back in the day, I couldn't have imagined any of them would have ever been known as Dr. Anything, except for, like in Slapshot, Dr. Hook McCracken. That guy could have played for the Broad Street Bullies. But that is a good man who is doing a lot of good stuff in his post-hockey life and having learned some some hard lessons doing some good stuff. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Many of your favorite movies over the years, the name evokes a response. Just the name itself evokes a response in your head because that's a movie that that title brings the picture into your mind and the good feelings and all the rest. Well, many of those favorite movies, this is absolutely true, many of those favorite movies over the years had working titles. The title that you got to know them as were not the titles that they were being made under on the scripts, on the, you know, the clapboards when they do the thing, you know, scene, all that. Uh, It was all different names, and it was only at the last minute that they decided to change the title for whatever reason, whether it was because they did polling and people didn't like the name or whether they the director or producer or whatever just liked it, whatever. But there are many, many, many movies that you will be familiar with that did not start by the names that you got to know them as. I want to go through a bunch of these. We're going to bring Ben into the conversation here. And I'm going to give you the working title, and then we're going to see how good Ben is at guessing what movie this became. I was really worried you were going to do it the other way around. No, that would be impossible. That would be completely impossible. So I'm going to give you the title that was the would have been the title, but for a last-minute change of heart, and you have to tell me what movie you think this would have belonged to. All the ones I'm going to give, and you can play along at home, by the way. Feel free. We will not stop you. All the movies that I'm going to give you are well-known movies. These are not, you know, art house movies that only showed in two theaters in Denmark in the 1940s. This is this is big time, big wide release, big name movies. Although that would be very funny to give Ben a Danish silent film from the war era. I can try and translate as best yeah. as I can. All right, movie number one, the working title. Big, big, huge movie, this one. I'll give you even a little bit of a hint as I tell you. The working title of a science fiction movie was Blue Harvest. Aliens? Not Aliens. Ah, what was it then? Once upon a time, you may have gone to see the third installment in the Star Wars series. Return of the Jedi was originally known as Blue Harvest. 
How? Is is this one of these, like, code name things? Or just like, yeah, let's call it that. And then... See, I that one, I, I am not a Star Wars aficionado. So I can't dive deep into the guts of the plot to tell you whether there was anything to do with a harvest of blue stuff or any... Because I would have thought it's... That was... Was that one not a lot about Yoda? So uh, it should be green harvest. <laughs> Maybe. 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 Ask not maybe, just do maybe. That's a world's <laughs> worst Yoda. It's the thought that counts. It's the thought that I counts. Think. <laughs> I should think these things through before I attempt to <laughs> imitate. Working title, Planet Ice. Planet Ice. This is a adventure slash love story from the 1990s. So it's definitely not Blades of Glory. No, that okay. would be good though. I'm I'm just hearing ice. Um, could it maybe be like no? It wouldn't be the thing. Um, that's too early. 1990s, <sighs> multiple multiple Academy Award winner. Uh, sure. Why not King Kong? Titanic. Okay, I was going to say Titanic, but I was like, no, there's no ice. But Planet like, Ice. Where, yeah, there kind is, of is ice. Where's the action adventure? Is where? Sorry, that's where I was a little more confused. Wait a second. Just I want to stop you for a second. I want to make sure you understand there was ice in the movie Titanic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> it's just a documentary about a ship sailing from Southampton to New York. Nothing happens. There was a void and then it just disappeared? Uh, yeah. No. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, sure. Uh, working title, Rory's First Kiss. Uh, this I don't even get. This I have no clue. This is a an adventure, sort of science-y fiction um, Rory's first, Rory's first kiss. kiss. This one, uh, I'm sorry. I'm just gonna I'm gonna help you because I don't think there's any chance because I don't even think this makes sense. Can I say E. T. Throw that one out there. The Dark Knight. How is what? I, I'm just telling you. Is there anybody in the Dark Knight named Rory? Ah, uh, I don't think so. I don't know. Maybe that's like Bruce Wayne's like online alter ego. Uh, working title: Incident on Fifty Seventh Street. Again, if this, there is no <laughs> chance that anyone could get this. Inception. Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. <laughs> <laughs> they, they probably just ran these names through like a random name generator and were like, that'll do. Okay, this one maybe. This one maybe, because it's a little closer. Star Beast. Star Beast. Star Beast. That's rather was, generic. Was the working title. <laughs> what kind of movie was this? This would be a science fiction adventure slash horror movie. Star Star Beast. Uh, Alien? Alien hey! is correct. Alien is correct, yes. Originally it was going to be called Star Beast. I'd see that movie if they called it Star Beast. The Seven Deadly Sins. Uh, this one you might be, if you saw this movie, you might be able to figure this one out. Uh, in, Inside Out? Seven. The one with the number seven for the V with Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman. Oh, okay. That's the I'll seven give them deadly that. sins. I'll give them that. Working title. These are all true, by the way. If you're just tuning in, these are the original working titles of huge movies that were not named the name that you know them as when they were being made. Got changed in the last minute. Working title, Paradox. This one would be a comedy science fiction-y adventure sort of thing from the... Either late 80s or early 90s. The Matrix? Back to the Future Part 2. Oh, okay then. Huh. 
Okay, I can see that now that I think about it. But Black Mask was the working title of this. I'll even help you out because I've been killing you on these ones so far. Black Mask is the working title of a Quentin Tarantino movie. Oh, I haven't seen a lot of them, but I love watching them. Uh, Black Mask. Reservoir Dogs? That would be good because they're all wearing black suits that are covered in blood, mind you. But uh, (laughs) Pulp Fiction. Okay. Pulp Fiction might have been called Black Mask. I, okay, easy one, although you may, you're very young, so this one might elude you, this next one, but anyone of a certain age would, I think, immediately get this one. So I, if you don't, it's not because you're not a smart guy. It's just because this is an old movie. Everybody comes to Rick's. Uh, I don't know. Weekend of Bernie's? Way, way before. <laughs> Black and white movie. Oh, okay. Then Everybody no comes idea. to Rick's. Casablanca. Oh, huh. I haven't seen that one, so I guess I can't really say. Now, I never saw this movie, but I'm pretty sure that this name has absolutely nothing. In fact, it's so ironic that it Group Hug was the working title. This is an adventure science fiction superhero movie. Group Hug was the working title <laughs> uh, of The Avengers. have you seen the Avengers I have seen that one was there at any point a group hug involved not from what I can remember maybe the Hulk bear hugging multiple people I can't explain it to you I I can't explain it to you either Uh, working title (laughs) A Boy's Life A Boy's Life this is a science fiction adventure smash hit from the 1980s um, that you may have already mentioned at one point. E.T.? E.T. was hey! going to be called A Boy's Life. Uh, corporate Headquarters. Corporate uh, Another headquarters? science fiction movie that came from a TV show. Starship Troopers? You're, you, you've got part of the word there. Starship, battle, no, not Battlestar Galactica. No, but you've uh, got the word in there again. Star, no, not Star Wars, Star Trek. Star Trek, hey, yes. Okay. Eventually, we had to cover all the stars. <laughs> yeah, Eventually. St- Star Trek was known as, was going to be known as Corporate Headquarters. That sounds really cool. Uh, let us keep going here. On to the next one. Um, a bunch of the, all the, all the Avengers ones had weird names. Well, you got to hide it Group from hug, the people. After Party, Frostbite. Um, we did that one already. We did that one already. Let us keep going. I know I don't know if you would have seen this movie. This is from the last ten years or so, two thousand eight. It's an American science fiction kind of horror movie. The working title was Cheese. Uh, this isn't going to be like Super Size Me or something, is it? Science fiction. Oh, okay. It was a cool movie. This one, but cheese. I have no idea what Cheese has to do with Cloverfield. I haven't even seen Cloverfield. That was a good one. I've been purposefully not watching that and not trying to find anything out. And honestly, this is just making me want to see it even more. Ebb Tide was the working title. Ebb Tide is the working title of one of the biggest movies of all time as far as box office receipts and part of maybe the biggest franchise or in the top two or three biggest franchises of all times. This was the first movie in a franchise that has made billions of dollars. Ebb Tide. Ebb Tide. Would it happen to be Avatar? 
That's only had one out, right? So, or does it have two? But, uh, it's got one, but they're going to be making others. No, I think there have been probably five in this franchise so far. And it's a sci-fi movie? Sci-fi, yeah, I would say science fiction. Not like space science fiction, like... But Terminator, maybe? Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park. It was going to be called Ebb Tide. Man, nobody would have seen it with a name like that. Not only that, could you imagine now if every single day there's a Raptors game, you have to go down and hang out in Ebb Tide? <laughs> that would suck. This what, is where the... are you going, Ebb Tide? I mean, this just almost sounds depressing. There would have to be a wave pool section. If you're going to have Ebb Tide, <laughs> I want to see the wave pool. Shoeless Joe. A lot of people are going to get this one. What movie was originally called Shoeless Joe before it was changed? Because this was actually the name of the short story and then the book that prompted it. I have no idea on this one, unfortunately. Field of Dreams. Can't say I've seen that one, so. You've not seen Field of Dreams? I've never seen it. You've never wept like a man. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen Ice Age 1. That one, that had me crying. It's so happy. Uh, let's see if we can find a couple more here. Dip, 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 dip. Got to go down here. Cause some, I only want to give you ones that you've actually heard of before. Cause some of these are just, uh, okay. See this one, I think this is one that was made specifically to be ironic and it wasn't ever real. This one, I don't think was ever going to be the name that was attached to the movie, but the working title, the working title of this movie was teenage sex comedy that can be made for under $10 million that your reader will love, but the executive will hate. American Pie. Bingo. Ah. How did you know that? Uh, I just guessed. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's a good one. Um, I don't think you will have seen this movie. A lot of people will have. Uh, the There were four working names, four working titles for this one, believe it or not. They were just so indecisive. The they first had to go one for? I can't pronounce. So I'll leave it out because I'll just make a hash of it. Uh, one of them was "It Had to Be Jew." One was "Me and My Goy." One was a roller coaster named Desire. Uh, I don't think you would have seen this. Annie Hall. Oh yeah, I've never. I I feel like I've heard the name. Maybe from the 1980s, huge hit, huge hit. Spaceman from Pluto was the working title. Superman? Back to the Future, the original one. Oh, come on! Back to the Future, the original one. Uh, Also from the 80s, maybe into the 90s, I guess it would be early 90s, and this was a movie, uh, you probably have not seen this one, so it's going to be very difficult for you to get, that was very controversial because of something an actress did in one particular scene. The working title was Love Hurts. I'm guessing Titanic is not the answer. Titanic is not the answer. Michael Douglas was in this movie. That doesn't help me at all. I'm not very good with celebrity names. Basic Instinct. Yeah, I, I never would have guessed that. It was at Love all. Hurts. A Basic Instinct, of course, was controversial because Sharon Stone was in it, and in one famous scene, she crosses and uncrosses her legs, and she's not wearing underpants. <sighs> How dare she? Mm-hmm. That's very unsanitary to be sitting on a seat like that. Just saying, that was the controversy about it. The uncleanliness. The, of, uh, the lack of, yeah, the <laughs> lack of cleanliness and, yeah. Public uh, outrage everywhere. Yeah, I don't think it was the nudity. I think it was the lack of personal hygiene. When I Grow Up, from the 1980s, that was the working title of a movie from the 1980s. Another huge hit. I'll even give you a hint. Tom Hanks. 
Uh, when I oh, grow Forrest up. Gump. Nope. No? Hmm. Big. You ever see Big? I can't say I Another have. Another one I got to show you. All right. Uh, let us keep going. Oh, this is a good one. From the 1980s. See, this is killing you because you weren't even a twinkle in your mom and dad's eye at this point. Nope. The Lunch Bunch. Uh, Breakfast Club? Yes. Hey. Yeah. Yes. The Breakfast Club was originally known as the Lunch Bunch. That's a good name, like just in general. The Lunch Bunch. The Lunch Bunch. Um, it feels good to say the Lunch Bunch. Try it. Yeah, lunch no, Bunch. I, yeah, I have, yeah <laughs> at, at home. Um, working title was A Long Night at Camp Blood. Friday the 13th? Yes, sir. Yeah. Friday the 13th is way better than A Long Night at Camp Blood, especially when you get on to like number four and five and six <laughs> and seven. The seventh night mm. at Camp Blood, part two. And like it just keeps going, keeps going. Keeps going. Okay, let's have two more here, if I can find two more that we would have heard of before. Oh, here's a good one. Huge movie, again, from the 80s into the 90s. The working title was $3,000. The Million Dollar Man? No, it was about a hooker and a rich guy. Pretty Woman? Pretty Woman was originally going to be called $3,000, which really would have changed the whole flavor of it because it would have really made it, even though it was about a transaction, it would have really made it sound like dirty. Yeah. Because, I, you know, as it's as it was, by calling it Pretty Woman, it didn't sound nearly as dirty as hiring a hooker to hang out with you for days and then turn her into a beautiful non-hooker. It definitely gets... Sorry, sex worker. <laughs> It definitely gets more people out, that's for sure. And let's have one more here. Oh, no, two more. Two more good ones. Uh, Wimpy. Wimpy was the name of a movie from the 1950s or 60s, but that was an exceedingly influential black and white movie with Anthony Perkins. Wimpy. I have no idea. Psycho was originally going to be called Wimpy. Huh. Psycho. I mean, could you imagine going to a movie called Wimpy and the first scene... Is some guy slicing his mother to death with a knife in the shower? I I thought I was going to see like a Popeye comic, (laughs) and I get that. Uh, Last one. I think you can probably get this one. The Tribal Rights of the New Saturday Night. Uh, Is this The Lord of the Flies? This one is about, this one had John Travolta in it. Dirty Dancing? The Tribal Rights of the New Saturday Night. You're closer. It's about dancing. Saturday, no, not Saturday night. Oh, it is Saturday Night Live? No, Saturday Night Fever. Fever. Saturday, Saturday night. night Live. <laughs> the Tribal Rights of the New Saturday Night was the working title for Saturday Night Fever. And <laughs> this one, I wasn't going to give another one, but Head Cheese. <laughs> oh, wait, I feel like I know this one, but I don't know the name. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre yes, was Head that Cheese. Was- <laughs> Oh, well, those are all the real names, the real working titles of movies. Thank goodness they changed most of those. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.